The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, friends. Um, let me, before we dive into this text, give you a brief um, financial update as we head into the last month of the year. We try to do this occasionally just uh, to keep abreast of where we are. So on the screen behind me, you'll see a slide that has our year-to-date budget and then actual giving and expenses. And so mostly good news there, um, as you'll see, uh, our actual giving is just a hair behind where we need to be, but so are our expenses. And so as we roll into the last month of the year, uh, if we can make up 2% in our giving, we'll be right on budget for the year. Um, and our expenses should continue trending behind as well. So that's good news. Um, thanks to you uh, for your generosity. And uh, thanks to our financial team for their ongoing good stewardship. Uh, last month, I also announced that in addition to normal giving, uh, we're embarking on this little journey called Facility 2.0. Uh, in light of almost 400 kids in our church, almost 100 students, and 236 events outside of Sunday morning just in the last quarter, um, as we look at the building usage needs, it's evident that we need to finish the lower level renovations uh, in this building. And so we're embarking on that uh, work starting January 2nd. That's when things all begin. And uh, in order to do that, we need to raise an additional $2 million over and above normal giving by the end of next year. So between now and next uh, December 31st. And so asking you all to pray about the, the part you might play in that, uh, both as we close out 2023 and as we head into 2024, uh, this is going to take all of us banding together and taking responsibility together for the, the actual ministry God has given us and the actual discipleship work that's taking place and the actual human beings that we are investing in. Um, this is not necessarily about us needing money to do some stuff in a building. Uh, it is very much about us needing a building that works for the discipleship ministry that we're doing among kids and students and our broader community. And so I hope you'll continue to pray about the part that the Lord wants you to play in that. That's a brief giving update as we head into December and um, as we continue to just seek the Lord uh, in generosity. With that then um, behind us, uh, we've been looking together at the book of Philippians and at how the gospel makes us a people of joy in an age of despair. And a big part of joy, a big part of joy is giving your life 
to the right thing. A big part of joy is knowing that your life has purpose and meaning and significance because it's given over to the right thing. And last week in the heart of Philippians 3, we saw really what is the center of Christian joy. What is it that leads to a life of joy and happiness and satisfaction? At the end of that section, we encountered this verse, verse 10, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We saw that that's the, the heart and the center of the Christian life, a whole life pursuit of fellowship with Jesus Christ, of knowing him, of experiencing him in all of his fullness, in all aspects of my life. And so we talked about this is what we're made to give ourselves to is a lifelong pursuit of friendship and fellowship with Jesus. The challenge in that, of course, is that life is really long and arduous, has a lot of twists and turns in it. And if you walk faithfully in pursuit of Christ for any length of time, you'll invariably encounter seasons where you feel stuck. Seasons where it feels like you're not making spiritual progress. Like it doesn't feel like things are changing. It doesn't feel like you're growing. It doesn't feel like you're making any progress in your relationship with God. Generally, when you first become a Christian, when you first trust in Jesus, the pace of change in your life is pretty rapid because you've counted the cost, you've seen what Jesus offers and what he invites you to, and so you've turned from an old life and embraced this fellowship with Christ, and immediately lots of things start to change. Some of your habits start to change, some of your most obvious sins start to fall away, a new circle of relationships begin to form as you join along with the people of God, and so you experience a lot of change really quickly. But inevitably, every Christian hits a season where the easier work of transformation is done and the hard work of deeper character change begins. Or we hit a season where hardship and suffering and unexpected circumstances really begin to test our faith and our perseverance. Or we hit a season where the long work of obedience the daily work of what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction feels difficult. I've never personally run a marathon, but I know some of you have. How many of you have run a marathon or a half marathon? We'll include a half marathon also. You can brag about it. It's okay. I have tons of respect for you because I've not done that. But all my friends who have run marathons talk about two moments that every runner, every distance runner experiences. One is runner's high. And the second is hitting the wall. And if you've run a marathon, you might have experienced both those moments. Of course, runner's high is that sort of moment of euphoria where it just feels like everything's flowing and you feel great. And then hitting the wall is that moment where it feels like everything's shutting down and you're not sure if you can keep going. Well, those two experiences in distance running have spiritual parallels as well. There are moments in your life with God in your pursuit of Jesus that feel like a high. It feels like everything's just working well and things are clipping along. And there are also seasons when it feels like you've hit the wall. Seasons where you feel spiritually stuck. And I want to show you this morning 
how to get unstuck, how to make spiritual progress, how to move forward with Christ even when it feels challenging or difficult or hard. The answer is given to us right here in the center of Philippians 3 in verses 12 through 15, and there is a a really simple sort of prescription that's given to us for how to make progress, how to move forward. And it involves these four elements. Look out, look up, look back, and look forward. That's the exhortations that are given to us here in Philippians 3. Look out, look up, look back, and look forward. That's what we can do to get spiritually unstuck and to actually make progress in fellowship with Christ, to continue this pursuit that we talked about last week of knowing him and the power of his resurrection and sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Look out, look up, look back, look forward. Let's look then at each one in turn. First, look out. Let's pick up again in verse 10 where the text says that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I want you to notice the word Already. One of the great dangers to spiritual progress is the danger of arrival. The danger of thinking that I've already made it, that I'm already mature, that I've already done the work and grown in all the ways that I need to. The the word perfect in verse 12 is, is perhaps not the Most helpful translation here, the Greek word means mature or complete or full-grown. Few of us would say, I'm perfect. But one of the things that causes Christians to become spiritually stuck is a sense of arrival. A sense that we're already mature. That the work of discipleship is kind of complete. And this is especially a danger the longer that you've been walking with Christ. The more progress you've actually seen. If you fall into this trap of arrival, you will find yourself talking about what God did in your life five years ago, or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, instead of what he's doing right now. And I've noticed that many of us who have walked with Christ for a long time, if I've led a small group, and there's both newer Christians and more seasoned Christians in the room, here's what often happens. The more seasoned Christians have a tendency to respond to younger Christians by saying things like this. When I was your age, here's what helped me. I want you to know this. The younger Christians in your life don't need to know what you did when you were their age. What they do need to know is how you're trusting in Christ right now what your pursuit of Christ looks like right now, what your journey of discipleship looks like right now. Not that I have already obtained this, says Paul, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. That's maturity. 
That's spiritual vitality, pressing on to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him in his death. How do you make spiritual progress? How do you get unstuck? Well, step one is look out. Look out for the trap of already. Look out for the ways that a sense of arrival can lead to complacency in your soul. So let me ask you this. Where do you see a sense of arrival in your life? Where have you stopped striving, stopped hungering for growth, stopped pressing forward, stopped leaning in? Where do you see a sense of arrival in your life? Look out for that. Step two, look up. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Okay, go with me here. The second reason we often get stuck is because we spend too much time looking in and not enough time looking up. Most of us are very aware of our own weaknesses, our own shortcomings, our own failures. And our tendency is when we think about something like spiritual progress, when we hear Paul say, I press on, and we know that he's calling us to follow his example and therefore press on, often what we tend to do is we look within ourselves and we become aware of the mess that's still there and the weakness that's still there and the ways that last time we sort of really made a new commitment to press on, we fell short. And because we look in at all that, we get discouraged and disheartened and demotivated and we get stuck. But Paul is reminding you, he's giving you the reason he presses on. He's saying, what causes me to press on to make this my own? The answer is, I press on to make it my own because, why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So the animating force for this pressing forward is the sovereignty of God in salvation and in our lives. Like the real animating power for change is the truth that Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's the truth that before I lifted a finger or did anything to move toward God, Christ had already moved toward me. That he in his love and mercy reached out to me as a helpless dead sinner and brought me to life and drew me to himself. The animating force for change is the truth that because Christ has made me his own. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans chapter eight. That's what animates and drives and spurs the kind of pursuit that isn't rooted in my commitment to be a better person, but that's rooted in the beauty and glory of what Christ has done to make me his own. This is why good theology matters. It's why the scriptural teaching about what the gospel is matters. It's why all the beauty and goodness that's on the pages of scripture of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus has done for us matters. Because it's reminding us that Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
It's grounding my own grit and determination and pressing on in the prior work of the Lord Jesus Christ who has loved me while I was dead in sin, who has drawn me to himself when I didn't deserve his love and mercy, who has reached down and plucked me out of the life I was living and drawn me to himself in faith. That's the animating and motivating power that causes Paul to press on, to move forward, to make progress. Why should we press on? Because Christ Jesus has made us his own. So so listen, if you find yourself spiritually stuck, if you find yourself in a place of sort of spiritual paralysis where it doesn't feel like you're making progress, let me ask you this question. How much are you looking in? How much are you looking up? Are you paying more attention to your own weaknesses and sins and shortcomings, are you paying more attention to who Christ is and to what Christ has done? There's one old theologian who said it this way, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. You need to see more of who Christ is than of who you are. You need to be more driven and motivated by what he's done for you than by what you might profess to do for him. The good news of the gospel, friends, is that for everyone who's in Christ, Christ Jesus has made you his own. He's the one who has done the work to bring you into fellowship with him. He's the one who left heaven, came to earth, went to the cross, rose from the dead, grabbed hold of your soul, brought you in faith to him, united you with him everlastingly. That's what he's done for you. And because of that, You're empowered, you're motivated, you're free to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, first, look out. Look out for the danger of arrival. Second, look up. Remember who Jesus Christ is and what the good news of the gospel is and what Christ has done for you. Third, look back. Look back. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The third reason we get spiritually stuck is because we're stuck in the past. One feeling almost all of us can relate to is the feeling of regret. There are things you have done in the past that you wish you could undo. Sins you've committed, choices you've made, people you've hurt, ways you've failed in some way. Regret is a horrible feeling. And because you have a soul and because you have a spiritual enemy who seeks to defeat you and discourage you, one of the things the enemy of your soul does is to keep a catalog of all those failures and make sure to bring them forward to you and read them back to you afresh. 
how could God use a person like you? Who are you to think you could ever lead someone else spiritually? <laughs> if the people in your life really knew about your past, would any of them really look to you or listen to you? Satan wants to keep you stuck in the past. And he wants to use the truly regrettable things about you that you might have done as a means to keep you paralyzed and to keep you from moving forward in pursuit of Christ. But God wants you to forget what lies behind. And listen, not in some positive thinking, self-help kind of way, but because of the glorious truth we just saw in verse 12. Christ Jesus has made me his own. I want you to listen to that again. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here's what that means. When Jesus Christ makes you his own, he takes all of you to himself. The good parts and the bad parts. The best of you and the worst of you. All your strengths and abilities and gifts and all your sins and failures and regrets. All of that belongs to Jesus. So it's not just move on, don't think about the past, keep moving forward. <laughs> what this text is saying is, hey, the past is nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Like you can't change the past, but Jesus has claimed your past and made it his own. I want you to remember, by the way, the person who's saying this, the Apostle Paul, who was actively involved in the murder of Christians. That's on his conscience as he writes this. He's not pretending that that wasn't true, that that didn't happen, and that that's not a part of his past. But what he knows is that because he belongs to Jesus, his past belongs to Jesus. And Jesus has paid for it, and he's claimed it, and he owns it, and so what needs to be forgiven has been forgiven, and what needs to be made right will be made right. And so Paul says, look back, for the purpose of forgetting. Don't live back there. Don't dwell back there. Forget what lies behind. And let's move forward. You can forget it because Jesus has claimed it all as his own. So it does not define you. It does not describe you. It is not who you are. It now belongs to Christ. Look back not for the purpose of living there, but for the purpose of being able to forget that and say, yep, that's all true, and that's not who I am. How many of you are spiritually stuck because you're stuck in regret or remorse or shame? I want you to hear me. Your past does not determine your future. Who you were or have been is not who you will be. When Christ Jesus makes you his own, he takes all of you. So look out for the danger of revival. Look up to the truth that Christ Jesus has made you his own. Look back and forget what lies behind. And finally, Look forward. Middle of verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I want you to catch all that forward-looking language. And actually, forward-looking might be too benign of a way of saying it. What he says is, I strain forward or I lean forward. This is athletic metaphor. It's the, the vision of a runner leaning his whole body forward to hit the tape at the finish line. Friends, one of the reasons we get spiritually stuck is because our vision of the gospel is too small. We think of the gospel only as or primarily as forgiveness of sins and not as an invitation into the kingdom of God, an invitation into life with God in his kingdom. And listen, if the gospel to you is merely Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you can go to heaven when you die, what are you to do between the moment you believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and the moment you die? I guess just hang around. But if you remember the bigger story that the gospel is telling us, the bigger vision that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and that human beings rebelled against God and plunged the earth and the creation into ruin and disorder and chaos and that God from the beginning in the Garden of Eden promised that he would come and make things right and that that story ran throughout the history of scripture as God sent prophets and priests, and kings to his people, anticipating and preparing them for the day that he would send his own son to come and reunite heaven and earth and reunite God and humanity and bring the world back together and renew and restore the fullness of what he had meant for it to be and that that's the story you're caught up in. The story you're caught up in is not you get to go to heaven when you die. The story you're caught up in is God is reweaving heaven and earth back together and renewing all of creation. It's beginning with you. That's what you're invited into. And now you get to live in a way that anticipates that new world. Like your life and my life is leaning forward, anticipating what God's going to do in the new heavens and new earth and trying to live now in a way that anticipates that. You're like, the church is like the, the model home for the new development that God is building. It's the, the beginnings, the foretaste, the, the first shadows of the coming kingdom. That's why Paul can say, hey, now that Christ has made me his own, you know what I'm doing? I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead, to the upward call of God in Christ. I've got a life to live. I've got a kingdom to look forward to and I'm called to a certain kind of existence now that anticipates that future kingdom. The Christian life is not merely a life that looks back to the cross, though it is that. It's also a life that looks forward to new creation. And so your calling as one of God's people is to anticipate what that new creation is going to be like with Jesus at the center of it, with God's truth and God's word at the heart of it, that's what's to animate your life now. 
So let me just, let me just frame out how that might change like what you do this week or next week. Most of you, many of you, are a part of a gospel community. And your gospel community is going to get together this week or next week. Maybe you'll share a meal. You might open up the scriptures and look at Philippians and read it together and think about it and then spend some time in prayer. And if you show up to that gospel community as, oh, this is a group where we get together and answer some questions. You know what you're going to do in that community? You're going to show up and answer some questions. Not a bad thing. But what if you envision that gospel community as a foretaste of new creation? What if you understood that what God is trying to do as he gathers his people together is to give us a little foretaste of what the world's going to be like? And that our calling as his people now is to anticipate that future world. That might change how you show up. Maybe your prayers would feel a little less like we're going around the room and praying for everybody's prayer requests and a little more hungry for the new heavens and new earth and for God's coming kingdom. Maybe your conversation would be a little less question and answer and a little more, how can we lean in together and anticipate what's coming? Maybe when you experience conflict or tension with another person, instead of saying, well, I guess we'll just move that to the side and not talk about it. What if you realize, hey, actually, in the new heavens and new earth, we're going we're gonna to all be together whether we want to be or not. So might as well work it out now because we're going to spend eternity together. Like that would be a different way of going about it, wouldn't it? That would bring a deeper meaning and a deeper fullness and a deeper seriousness to what we're doing when we get together. Like when you get together in a gospel community, it's not like doing a group project in high school, you know, where we're all just trying to like check the box that we got in a room together so that one person can do all the work and we can all get the credit for it, right? That's not what we're doing. What a gospel community is, is a little foretaste of the new heavens and new earth. And we begin to see that that's what God is doing among us. It changes what we bring to the room and what we expect of one another and where we need the Holy Spirit to show up and change us. So that's just one little picture of how looking forward, straining forward, leaning forward, can change how we live right now this week. How are you straining forward to what lies ahead? Are you thinking about the Christian life merely as something that looks back to the death and resurrection of Jesus? Or are you living with an eye that also looks forward to what God is doing and to the way that you and I are a part of that right now? We should be building the most beautiful human community possible because that's what the new heavens and new earth are going to be. If your gospel community is anything less than the most beautiful human community possible, then you and I have work to do. Let's get after it. What does it look like to make spiritual progress? How do you get unstuck when you find your wheels spinning? This text gives us four answers. First of all, look out. Beware of the already. Beware of the danger of arrival. Second, look up to Christ Jesus, who has made you his own. 
Third, look back, not to live there, but to forget what lies behind. And fourth, look forward to the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then the text ends in verse 15 with this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Have this mindset. Have this attitude. This is why we need the word of God. This is why we need the truth of God. Because what we need is to have this mindset. We need to change our thinking about what we're here for. And so Paul says, hey, as many of you as, as are mature, as many of you that, that belong to Christ and are growing in him, think this way. Have this mindset. Have this outlook on life. Know that this is what your life is to be about and for. So if we put last week and this week together, here's what we see, that the highest joy, the highest satisfaction we can have in life is to know Christ and to have fellowship with him and communion with him. And if that's the highest joy, then the great calling of our lives is to press on to know him. To press on, to make that kind of knowledge of Christ my own. Why? Because Christ has made me his own. If you walk with Christ for any length of time at all, you're going to have experiences where you feel stuck. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you can relate to having been there in the past. And if neither of those describe you, then good luck, it's coming in the future. When you feel spiritually stuck, you need to mark this passage in your Bible and you need to come back here. And you need to be reminded to look out, to pay attention to that danger of arrival and presumption, to look up, to look back and let the past be the past, and then to look forward to what Christ is calling you into. And this is part of why we gather as the Lord's people weekly because we need to be reminded of this, because these things do not come naturally to us, and so we need to be encouraged with God's truth, and because actually Christian worship helps form us in these ways. The Lord's table, in fact, helps us look in all four of these directions. Coming to the Lord's table helps us look out. If you come to the Lord's table this morning, what you're saying is, I need grace today. I haven't arrived. I'm not already there. I'm not a mature Christian who just doesn't need any more of Jesus. I'm coming here because I need his grace in my life now. Coming to the Lord's table helps us look out, or at least it should. And so as you come to the Lord's table, if you're coming with a sense of arrival, please do the work right now to repent and come instead in a place of humility place of acknowledgement, the reason I would come to this table is because I need God's grace in my life. I need his fresh, empowering goodness to meet my spiritual need right now. Coming to this table also helps us to look up because it's a reminder that Christ Jesus has made us his own. Like this table is for the people of Jesus. 
This table reminds me that I belong to him and he belongs to me and he has made me his own and it's his body and blood that are the guarantee and promise of that covenant. This table helps me look up to Christ. Coming to this table helps us look back. Whatever regret or remorse or shame you carried in here with you, Jesus invites you to leave it with him, to leave it at his cross, to come to his table and know that he has taken all of you to himself. Coming to the table helps us look forward. One day we will feast with Christ in his kingdom, in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what this feast anticipates and looks forward to. And actually, that feast, that eternal end of history feast has already begun. Why? Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And wherever his people gather, the feast begins now as a foretaste of what is to come. One of the most countercultural things we do every week is to come to the Lord's table and tell the world in eating bread and wine, we're anticipating what is to come. There is a great feast coming, and Christians get a little foretaste of it every week. So let's pray, and let's come to his table together. Our Father, we want to press on to know Christ. So give us the grace this morning to look out. Guard us against the danger of arrival. Give us grace to look up and lay hold of the good news that Christ Jesus has made me his own. Give us grace to look back, forgetting what lies behind. And give us grace to look forward, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As we come to your table now, refresh our hearts with the goodness of the gospel and fix our eyes on Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.